We don't have to try any harder. We don't need to fight anymore. We don't have to try any harder. No. Hey, Jacob. Hi, Scott. And how are you today? Well, I'm well. I we just hit record. I just said, you know what? I think we should just start and see what happens. So, and now we're both blank. And we're like, okay, now <laughs> say something, Scott. Yeah, I want to say to the listeners, um, if you're hearing strange noises, there is a lot of construction happening across the street at this park, unfortunately, and no way to avoid it. So I'm hoping that it's not too distracting. Yeah, we should. Uh we should put our, our mind meld power together and just like make it all stop for a little while. I've been trying. Oh, have you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have a weak mind. <laughs> I have a weak mind. <laughs> oh, well, you know, another small item of housekeeping, but um, those of you who love to find your podcasts on Apple podcasts should be able to find ours with ease again. We went through the whole support process and um, it took me eventually mentioning to the Apple podcast team that the it's also up on Amazon's Audible podcasts and that Spotify has no trouble. Suddenly they were very excited about helping me get it resolved. It took a long time. Well, thank you for doing that. And now we know exactly what we have to do. hopefully just drop names let's just drop names. <laughs> drop other drop their competitors names. i'm always reluctant to do that you know to to leverage people but when i eventually don't get a response ever then i'm like all right well listen now this is on all the other major platforms you know yeah and i want to say to listeners because i've received a couple messages personally from people who said that they weren't able to leave us a review in part because the reviews were gone for weeks so it was impossible to do so. And now you can on Apple Podcasts. So if you are enjoying this podcast, and really only if you're enjoying this podcast, <laughs> then please do uh, rate and, and leave us a review over there to help spread the word. Yeah, if you hate this stuff, just go leave a, po- leave a review on Joe Rogan's podcast or something. Yeah, some, something yeah. else. And stop listening because you shouldn't be listening to something you hate, <laughs> right? Because this is actually something we have control over the ways in which we're curating our lives to bring about information and things that we feel actually serve us and lift us up rather than the opposite. I love that. You know, I I just got back from a walk. You might be able to tell Scott, I I literally just got in, pulled my cap off and kind of ran my fingers through my hair. So I look a little, a little greasy. It's hot here in Boise today. Um, Don't listen to Jacob. He looks as handsome as ever. He looks like perfection. <laughs> Thank you. And my teeth are fractionally straighter from last week. <laughs> I did notice that. Did you? Bravo. I was sick of looking at your crooked teeth. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I was just on this walk, though, and I woke up this morning. I actually slept pretty well last night. Sleep has been something I've been paying a lot of attention to lately. I've been reading this amazing book that I may have mentioned before, but it's called Why We Sleep. Um and it's a New York Times bestseller, and it's just remarkable. So I've been paying more attention to my sleep, you know, including turning down the temperature in the house when I go to bed, and I bought a new pillow, and I've been focusing on cutting out some screen time, um, so much information about, you know, how that can improve sleep and how important sleep is. But I woke up this morning, Scott, feeling 
just kind of heavy. And um, I journaled and I was sitting there and I have things to do today. I have this podcast to show up for and, and other things to create today. And they're important things. And, you know, I was sitting on the edge of my bed and the script in my mind was running. You don't feel like doing anything. There's all, all these different reasons why. And so I thought, you know, one thing I know I can do, it's a beautiful morning and it's not um, blazing hot yet like it will be later this afternoon. I'm going to go take a walk. And so I took a two mile walk really fast, listened to a book and came back here feeling really different. And what you just said about curating our experience, curating the inputs. I, I When I came back in and ran my fingers through my hair, I thought, you know, it'd be interesting maybe to talk about what it means to manage our states. I and mean, we've talked about this before, but I feel like maybe it's a good one again, like how to both experience our states, our feelings, emotions, thoughts, how to experience them deeply, and then also how to intentionally shift as needed. Does that feel uh, interesting to you? That will always feel interesting to me. And before we get into that, I am curious, though, with the book that you said is so amazing, Why We Sleep, like, what about it? Like, what are, what are you responding to about the book? Mm. Well, and I, I think this is a, it's relevant to this topic, too. It's just so interesting, Scott, how my entire life, I didn't sleep very much. I thought I was one of those people who maybe just didn't need as much. In fact, it was a bit of a point of pride for me. You know, oh, I, I get about four to six hours and that's plenty. You know, about five or six years ago, I began to really notice my physical energy and vitality had taken a major dip and that was affecting my mind and my emotions, you know, my outlook on the future. So I've been on this really interesting quest over time to look at my nutrition, look at, you know, exercise, how I can use exercise in a really healthy way rather than a depleting way. Um, looking at meditation, all these different things. And also um, trauma, trauma healing, you know, has been a big part of that. So this is an interesting piece of that puzzle as I'm reading this book. And he's talking about how people who have a lot of anxiety, um, oftentimes it has roots in early childhood. Uh, anxiety tends to be one thing that keeps a lot of people from getting sufficient sleep. And then reading this book, it's like, oh my God, here are all the things sleep does for you. All these things that, it, you know, it supports in your life. I mean, hormone production, uh, mental state. In fact, he said, you know, I used to look at um, diet, exercise, and sleep as three main pillars of good health. He said, I now have come to feel strongly. And he's a UC Berkeley researcher. I mean, he's, a, he's deep in field research all the time. He said, I've come to see sleep as like the foundation of good health and long life and, and healing. Um, and he talks about how difficult it is for people who have like PTSD to even get into proper sleep patterns. And then how, and then he talks about how to, you know, begin to use sleep differently and, and some of the modalities that are needed to actually change the relationships with, with sleep. I feel like I could go on and on. How do you sleep? How I've been sleeping very well in North Carolina, the month that I was there, I truly had the best sleep that I've had in years, in years. So typically for me, and, and then I want to go back to a couple of things you were saying. So I don't want to forget what you said about sleep as a badge of honor. Mm. So let's discuss Little that. sleep as a badge of honor. Little sleep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not sleeping, I right. should say, as a badge of honor. Um, 
You know, I, I have tended to be someone who falls asleep very quickly, generally. Mm-hmm. But if I wake up in the middle of the night to pee or for a noise or whatever, it can be very hard for me to go back to sleep. So that's when I've had bouts of insomnia, it always it is almost always that, which is falling asleep and then waking up at two in the morning and then being up for hours and hours and hours. Um, in North Carolina, I don't know if it was, I think it was in part being near a river and hearing the distant sound of the water, like is this the most perfect white noise? I also happened to start taking magnesium capsules when I was arriving in North Carolina, right before bed. And I have to credit it. You know, I so rarely feel the supplements that I take. And I don't think it's a coincidence that as I began the magnesium, I was having incredible sleep and I'm, and I'm still sleeping well and I'm not in North Carolina, but I would, so, and I am still taking magnesium, so I'm no scientist, but I'm, I'm putting two and two together and paying attention. Um, so yeah. And sleep for me, I, I believe it is the number one thing because I know how I am when I don't get sleep. Mm-hmm. I know how I feel. I know what my mood's like versus how good I feel, how much more clear I feel when I'm actually sleeping well. And I think that's, that's just how it is for everybody. And we live, I think some people can function on, on less sleep than others, certainly in a, in a, in a better way or a more productive way or a healthier way. But in general, sleep is incredibly important for our overall health and well-being. And the fact that we've been conditioned in this country, certainly to where four to six hours of sleep is a badge of honor, you know, is insane. And I'm happy to see at least what I'm observing that that appears to be shifting. It appears like more people are waking up to the understanding that no, there, there's nothing to be proud of if I'm not sleeping well in, in sleeping few hours. Like I'm not serving myself. Mm-hmm. And what can I do to create more time for sleep in my life? What, what do you think? Is it shifting? I think it's beginning to shift. And I've been seeing a lot of articles about, you know, companies calling people back to work. I think we talked about this an episode or two ago. And people are saying, not not on those terms. You know, a lot of people are saying, I'm not going to do it the way I was doing it before. And I think that's part of connected to what you're talking about. People are like, okay, something about the way I was living wasn't right. It wasn't serving me. Now I've had some space and time and I'm not willing to go put myself back under that particular uh, pressure again in that way. Yeah, because they've had a reprieve from it. Right. You know, so you see, like, it doesn't have to be this way. I'm at home doing my job and getting more sleep or or maybe not, you know, but it does. And I think what you were what you were bringing up is kind of a topic for today. This is incredibly relevant Mm -hmm. because sleep is one of the things when we look at the lives that we're creating and how we're being intentional about creating a life that ultimately serves us in a positive way. We have to consider our sleep habits in that you know, inventory. A man agreed. And I've just come to believe, not believe, I've been experiencing, I'm experimenting with paying attention to our health in on every level, mental, emotional, physical, uh, spiritual, all these different parts of health. Like, you know, there's that mystical land called perfect balance. I don't really ever feel like I'm striving to find perfect balance, Scott, but paying attention 
to the areas that feel depleted and not letting it run to the point where, as I've done in the past, I've done this enough times in the past to know, at least begin to notice the warning signs. Okay, I'm really depleted here. Um, I'm still, my tendency is still to have this hero complex of I can just keep going no matter Mm -hmm. what. Um, I don't need, and sleep, I think, was a really good example of that. Like, I just don't need as much as other people, or even though I'm tired, I don't have to pay attention to that. Yeah, until you start paying attention to it, (laughs) and you realize this is actually something I need to pay attention to. And that's what's, for me, exciting about this, is that when we do give our attention over to aspects of our lives and approach them with more awareness and with more intention, we actually stand to create a different relationship with that thing. And so often it it begins with just paying attention and bringing the awareness. Well, wait a minute, I'm feeling depleted. Let me look at the different areas of my life that could lead to that feeling. You know, how am I approaching my work life? How am I approaching my personal life? How much sleep am I getting? What kinds of foods am I eating? Am I moving my body in in any specific way? Mm -hmm. And if we break it down and we look at all those different components, we're likely to see, well, wait a minute, this is one area where I'm definitely not showing up for myself the way I can. Mm -hmm. So let me consider how, how might I be able to show up differently that could actually create a bit more, um, wholeness in this area that could stand to create something positive for me in my life instead of being depleting. And once we start that process, I think sometimes when we talk about the process of healing and growth, it can feel really overwhelming. And and I use the word work a lot because it, it actually does take work, I think, to create change in our lives. But maybe even that word can feel daunting and overwhelming. And what if we look at it as this adventure? Mm-hmm. I am depleted. I don't want to feel as depleted as I can feel. So let me go on an adventure and (laughs) and look at all the areas in my life that might be depleting me and consider how I can go about eliminating some of that depletion and, and uplifting myself in different ways and fortifying myself in different ways. And if it helps you to make it a game, make it a game. Mm right? If it helps you to track it, if it helps you to write about it, if it helps you to call a a friend into your life who might be having similar issues and do these things together, do it. Because the more we're able to create fun around anything, the more likely we are to show up for it. I agree. And you know, here's the other interesting thing, Scott, is I want to say this pretty emphatically. Whatever you do to take care of your needs in whatever one of these areas that doesn't seem connected to productivity, to, you know, producing stuff to your hardworking job or whatever it is, whatever you do to take care of yourself in that way will have an effect on the whole. Like for most of my life, sleep seemed to me to be an interruption to being productive it's not until I hit the wall really hard and I've had to do it a few times in my life that I began to realize this is not optional. In fact, by pretending that I'm just a superhero and don't need this really vital part of my life, um, it's actually taking away from, and this book, why we sleep talks about how even an hour or two hours less sleep than you actually need per night, especially over the course of a week or a month 
it actually inhibits the operation of your prefrontal cortex. And so we literally start making, and he is humorous about this, but he's like, we literally start becoming insane with not enough sleep. And he said, our culture has been trained to not get enough sleep. And we are literally running in a level of insanity. And he said, he said, one, if I could wave a magic wand, everybody would start sleeping, sleeping seven to eight hours per night. He said, you would watch society begin to change uh, fairly miraculously just from the sleep. I believe that just based on how I am when I don't get enough sleep. And, and I understand that that's how a lot of people are, you know, and the, the thing I, I feel called to say, because for some people listening, you know, I'm sure there are people listening who struggle with insomnia, mm -hmm. possibly fairly regularly, aren't getting the kind of sleep they know they need to get. And our mind wants to shame us for that. Mm -hmm. Like you might be thinking, well, I'm not getting the sleep and I'm doing myself this disservice and I'm hurting myself and I'm making myself insane right. because I'm not getting the sleep. And that's not necessary, right? This is, this is really, I feel like this is one of the things I've gotten really, really good at in my life with practice because I practice it at all the time is, is just eliminating that part of this story, just ignoring that voice, like hearing the noise of it without internalizing it. It's like, whatever you're doing, what you can do, right? We're not talking about this so that you feel shame about the lack of sleep you're getting or anything we're talking about. It's never about to highlight something that we're not experiencing in our lives in order for us to feel ashamed of it. Mm. It's to highlight it in order for us to consider that might be an area we could give more energy to. And, and I want to say something about insomnia from my, my personal experience, because in the past few years, I've definitely had bouts of insomnia where I was waking up every night and up for several hours. And what I used to do is what I think a lot of us do with insomnia, which is just to curse it and like, fuck, my whole day is going to be ruined and I've got to show up for this thing. And now I'm going to show up worse because I am not getting sleep. And just to create this misery while I'm lying there in bed, which is in no way supporting any possibility of me falling asleep. And I've taken a different tack for the last few years and it's, it's helped me a lot. And it doesn't, by the way, necessarily help me fall asleep sooner, but it makes my time awake less stressful. Mm. And, and that is just to accept that I'm not sleeping. And if I can tell, and I think a lot of us, we can tell if you're not going to be falling back to sleep. Sometimes there's a chance you will. And sometimes you just know, oh, I'm going to be up for hours, oh, yeah. you know? And so if I know that's the case, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm awake. What do I feel like doing right now? And even if it's lying in bed, what I never feel like doing is lying in bed cursing myself for being awake and thinking about how awful the next day is going to be. So sometimes I'll be like, maybe I feel called to read a little. Maybe I feel called to write in my journal. Maybe I feel called to meditate. Maybe I feel called to just sit here and think because that's what I'm doing, but without that judgment about it. And it, it has made such a difference in my life when I am up in the middle of the night, um, not feeling like I have to be falling asleep or I'm ruining myself by not, by simply just being with what is in whatever way I'm able to be with it. Yeah. I'm really glad you did that. You said all that. That's so important. And I feel like it's crucial to any kind of, any kind of desired state change, Scott. So this morning I woke up feeling a bit depressed, you know, and had I sat there and was like, oh my God, 
you know, here it is, this feeling, um, you know, much like lying awake. And I've done that as well, you know, wake up at 3 a.m. And just that little switch flips like, yep, I'm not getting back to sleep. To your point, the nights that I've laid there for two hours and felt anxious and frustrated and all of those feelings allowed them just to keep sort of running the show. Right. That's not going to certainly not going to get me more sleep. And it's not going to make me move into my day, um, you know, connected to myself or a better person. I'm just going to be thinking about that story of how awful it is that I didn't get sleep. So, and I would like to just add too that anything we talk about, especially if I get passionate about something, it's really just an invitation. Yeah. It's, it's really, I want everything to be an invitation, not a sermon, you know? Hey, and, and generally, if I feel passionately about something, it's because I've, struggled with it. I am looking for the ways to, you know, come into a different relationship with it. And so, yeah, I, I also want to echo your gentleness. Be gentle with yourself. If you're struggling with any of these things, whether it's depression or anxiety or sleep, the idea here isn't saying you shouldn't be having that condition, whatever it might be. Yeah. I love the word invitation. I love applying that word to all, all areas of our lives, like in this exploration in this healing exploration in this growth work it's like what happens if we look at how i was talking about the areas that are depleting you if you look at all of that as just an invitation mm -hmm. for deeper exploration for deeper growth instead of a mandate right right um it it changes the energy and everything is energy and the language we give to things there's energy in language there's energy in the words we use there's energy in the thoughts we think and i love just the feeling of approaching aspects of my life to, of my life as this lovely invitation. And maybe it, you can even literally send yourself an invitation. If there's an area, I, writing is such a powerful tool for everything. If there is an area of your life that you want to give some energy to and you've been putting it off because it feels more like a chore, you know, what if you sit down and literally like invite yourself to participate and, and write down the ways in which your participation stands to create something more beautiful, more fulfilling, more connected, more loving in your life and really, really enter that domain from this place of, of fun and invitation and joy. I love that. I love what it does in the brain. You know, it, it shifts from one particular pattern it's like you know the old record players you just you move it from one track to to the next you know to a different groove and it goes oh my god rather than this be being something i'm caught in in this endless loop over and over i can invite myself actually invite myself become more curious about it yeah for sure were there other aspects of this conversation that you wanted to dive into well i did yeah and really curious to see where this goes because i there's this interesting relationship between changing states. And I learned a lot about this from some of Tony Robbins work and the NLP, you know, folks, this really amazing, almost magical ability to with your physiology, with the words you say, with some actions you can take literally change from one state to another. And I experienced this many years ago, I was in the mortgage industry and I was at a a big mortgage convention in Las Vegas and they brought Tony Robbins in and he came in at the very end of the day and we had been in, you know, these conferences and meetings all day long. And so you just kind of look 
through this whole ballroom and there's probably a whole bunch of people sort of hung over from what they did the night before. And so we're all tired. It's five o'clock PM. And here's Tony Robbins, this giant of a man that comes in. How are you all doing? And everyone's like, Ugh. he's like, okay, we're going to change your state. So he gets us all. And by the time within three minutes, he demonstrated how we were all, he said, look at your posture. We were all sort of, you know, in the, in the posture of I'm tired, a little slumped over a little bit, you know, he's like, sit up straight, breathe deeply. He said, now stand up, now clap your hand. You know, he went through this entire routine and he was demonstrating something really important that it is possible to change our state in, intentionally. I love that. And over the years, I've also come to realize that sometimes simply using mechanical formulas to change a state isn't what's being asked right then. Um, sometimes I need to feel something very deeply rather than simply pop out of that particular feeling. Does that make sense? It makes sense. But how do you know? How do you know? Well, let's talk about if you're that. meant to sit in it or pop out of it. Yeah. Let me ask you. I mean, I know I'm springing this on you, but I, I wouldn't say I have like this, you know, other side, the antidote formula to that. But I think sometimes there can be this, um, we sometimes do violence to ourselves, whether it's I'm sleepy and I just need to drink three cups of coffee to change my state. Um, right. I'm feeling tired. So what I should do is go run for three miles. Sometimes that keeps us away from asking the actual question of what do I need right now? So I'm curious, maybe, and I'm curious if you have ever internalized any of those messages of always just change your state into what's thought of as a positive state. I'm not, not really. I mean, that is, that is in some way the basis of the work of Abraham Hicks, which I've been listening right. to a lot lately. Yeah. So I would say in some ways I'm, I'm, I'm considering those things more often than ever, but I'm also not, I, I also feel the importance of being with, to me, it still feels important at times to be with emotions that aren't just joyful. Mm -hmm you know, that can be difficult. You know, I changed my state this morning when I was, I had a sluggish, I got up early, which I actually love waking up early, but I went to bed late, which meant that I didn't get a ton of sleep, but I was, you know, I woke up early and the sun was just kind of coming up and that felt good, but I was also feeling a little sluggish and I don't drink coffee all the time and I didn't feel like drinking it this morning. I didn't, and, and usually if I drink it, it's late morning or early afternoon. And so so in me, I had the, I, I didn't, I wouldn't say I had the urge to dance, but something in me whispered, just turn on some music and dance. Mm. And I turned, and so I was in this sluggish state. I turned on some music and danced and it completely shifted where I was as it always does. And for me, there was great value in doing that because I was awake. I wasn't intending at the moment to go to bed. There were some things I wanted to do. And I certainly preferred to move into my day not feeling as sluggish as I felt. And if by putting on music and dancing my butt off for a couple songs created in me some energy and also dancing for me is just joy. It's so much fun and enjoyable that that's a really positive way and time to choose to change my state. Mm. Right. So that's an example of that. If as a different example, I am getting just got in a, a heated discussion with a friend who said some we said hurtful things to each other 
And I was sitting in the aftermath of that discussion and sitting with what went on between us, the energy, the words, the consideration of our relationship, all the things that happen when you get in those, those kinds of interactions with people in your life. I don't know that it would have necessarily felt positive for me to be like, stop thinking about all this right now and just dance and think about something else and don't feel anything you're feeling. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And I think that we, we often intuitively intuitively know, but if I'm sitting in that space after the, the dynamic with my friend for hours and days and nothing's shifting and all I'm doing is the hamster on the wheel going through the argument again and thinking of the things I would have said differently, how does that serve anything? Right. Like what, you know what I mean? I think that there, for me, there's a consideration in, are the actions I'm taking right now actually serving me? Are they serving my growth? Are they serving my heart? Are they serving my healing? And if so, even if that means being with something that feels really difficult and diving into that difficulty and really exploring it, I, I feel like there's value in doing it. Mm -hmm. If I'm looking at the state I'm in and thinking, honestly, I don't think this is really doing any fucking thing for me. Like, like there's nothing, I'm not learning anything. I'm not growing. I'm just miserable. I think that there's really value in exploring, well, what shifts can I make? What choices might I be able to make right now that can help me move out of this place? Yeah. And this is where I really feel like developing a daily practice. We've talked about this. I will talk about it. Continue forever and ever. No, a daily practice for me is such a valuable tool, um, method of inviting myself home, Scott. And so this morning when I woke up, before I even got out of bed, I grabbed my journal off the bed stand and I sat and wrote for three pages. That to me was one way of, I could feel the seductive pull of my phone and what was going on on Facebook and Instagram, what might be in my email. And I did some of that, but I could also feel like, oh, this is actually perpetuating the feelings they're inviting me to pay attention to them. It's actually, but if I don't pay attention to them, if I don't actually ask them what they are, what, who they are, what they need from me, um, then I will simply stay in those feelings. And those are not the feelings I would love to carry throughout the rest of my day. So spending 20 minutes uh, propped up my elbow there writing actually allowed me to get it out. Oh, this is what I'm feeling. Interesting. Okay. Um, this is what I need in regard to that. And then making the decision to get up and you danced. I went out for a two mile walk and got back because I knew that I wanted to show up to this episode with you, um, honest, but also not in this loop of whatever was going on inside my head. And so yeah. I think that developing a practice that says to these feelings, who are you? What do you need from me right now? What are you trying to say to me rather than simply avoiding them in some way? And I also am very conscious that you and I have right now, at least in our lives, more space and time. I don't have three little kids running around. I don't have to get up, exactly. jump in my car and be at a job at 7 a.m. or show up to a Zoom conference at 7.30 a.m. or something like that. So I want to say to you, if you're listening to this going, oh, that sounds great to be able to wander around and asking your feelings what they need from you all day. <laughs> right. But I don't have that kind of time. I get it. And there have been times in my life I haven't either. I'm grateful for a little more space to do this right now. But how would you 
how would you continue this conversation, Scott, with someone who says, look, I do feel anxious. I do feel frustrated. I spend my day feeling like I'm um, at the mercy of a schedule that really isn't optional. I need this job to pay the bills and my kids do need their need. You know, they do have needs that, that must be taken care of. Um, where do I find time to even do any of these things you're talking about? You start right there with that question, mm. because I think that that so often I agree with what you're saying and about there are people listening who don't have nearly as much time as we have. And everyone has some amount of time, mm -hmm. right? Everyone has five minutes that they can carve out from their day or from their morning and in their afternoon. You know, everyone has some minutes of the day to which they can dedicate something that reflects self-care and self-love. Everybody. And it begins with that question. It begins with wanting to make time for yourself in a way that's going to contribute to your life or to your relationship with yourself or whatever else positively. And so if you start by asking yourself, I'm really busy. I know I'm really busy. I may not have as much time as I would ideally like in my life. And yet I'm aware that there is still time to carve out in my day, even if it's just five minutes before work, five minutes at lunchtime and five minutes after work, I am willing to carve out this time for myself. So where can I make the time and what can I do with that time when I make it? And my, my experience around this story is that when we are committed to doing these things for ourselves and we make a habit of doing them, we are not going to relinquish we're not going to start relinquishing those five minutes. We're more likely to add a minute or two to the five. So suddenly it's seven in the morning and seven at lunch and maybe nine in the evening because we see what it does for us. We see how it contributes to our lives. We see how it contributes to our energy level, to how we're showing up for our family members, to how we're showing up for our friends, to everything about our lives because it's all energy. All of this stuff is energy and even one minute of energy that is devoted to self-care and self-love is a minute of energy to which you are serving yourself powerfully and profoundly, and it will build on itself. But the only way it can is if you are willing to stop, grab a journal and a pen, and ask yourself, where can I carve out time in my day? And how do I want to fill it with things that support me in a different way? Where can I eliminate things in my day that do not serve and support me? And if we start asking ourselves these questions, we're likely to find answers and we're likely to find things that, wait a minute, I don't have to give as much time to this, or this is a relationship I'm giving a lot of time to that actually is more depleting than anything else in my life. Why am I doing that? How can I create boundaries? How can I change this dynamic so that I have more time for myself and things that, that fulfill me? What about you? Well, I just want to How take a moment and reflect something. What you just said is simple and it's profound. It's exactly my experience. That's me, baby. Ah, simple and <laughs> profound. <laughs> That's my next book. <laughs> That's me, baby. Subtitled, Simple and Profound. <laughs> exactly. The story of Scott's to be. Oh, my God. Uh, no, I think that sometimes it's easy to tune into a podcast and have these things just sort of flow over. It's like, oh, that's a neat idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I feel like what you said is worth this hour-long episode right now. Just that invitation to come home 
that invitation to ask the question, how can I, which is a very creative question, you know, it pulls the thread of possibility. How can I find the time that I need? How can I? Um, yeah, and I just want to say, too, that uh, Jonathan Robinson, who he's been on Oprah a number of times. You might have seen some of his books. He was a mm-hmm. Buddhist monk for like seven or ten years or something like that. Then he came back to the world, and he's written all of these books. And I asked him one time, Jonathan, like, you must just be some sort of machine of productivity to, you know, in some of his books, again, they've been on Oprah, they've been well-received. Like, how do you get all this done? And he just started laughing. He's a really gentle guy. He said, Jacob, I'm really pretty lazy. He said, I really love to sit out on the stump in the sunshine and just like let the sun warm me. Or I like to play my guitar. I like to lie on the floor and let the cat walk around me. He's like, what I did though, and it's really helped me. And this directly relates to what you just said, Scott. He said, I made a promise to myself that I would write for five minutes every day. Yeah. He said, that's how I write. I'm shaking my head. And if you you can't see me, but I'm like five minutes, five minutes. so doable. So doable. Yeah. And that's, you know, and that back when I was, you know, more actively teaching writing, I would try to help people get on some sort of pace of write 500 words a day. That's a good one. And that's not very many words for somebody who is, you know, actively writing, but um, five minutes is even better because he said, listen, doesn't matter if I'm really busy that day. It doesn't matter if I'm tired, if I'm depressed, if I'm not feeling inspired. He said, sometimes that five minutes that I've promised myself is a struggle. More often than not, and this is what you, you said it and made me think of this, more often than not, that five minutes turns into 20 minutes or an hour. Or he said, I've had that five minutes turn into a day, a full day where I got so much writing done. But he said, it doesn't kind of doesn't matter to me. He said, I know that by keeping my five minute promise every day, I'm going to get the books done that I care about getting done. And, you know, he said, I look back and I guess I am kind of a prolific writer, but I did it with five minutes a day. I love that. That's an extraordinary example Mm -hmm. of, of what's possible. And, and let's not overwhelm ourselves with the commitment we make to ourselves, right? Because If we overwhelm ourselves from the get-go, we're not even going to begin, right? If we underwhelm ourselves, if we make it incredibly doable, five minutes of writing a day is the most doable thing I can imagine. It's like, you're going to do that. You're going to meet this commitment and it's going to take you to places that you don't expect. And all of that is just gravy. All of that is just the cherry on top of the five minutes. I love that example. That's terrific. Well, and I also wanted to say that in everything you're talking about, I just keep hearing this invitation turn back toward me. The inner self is saying, look, look, look at me, make eye contact with me. I have wisdom for you. I have the answers you need. I have, I can tell you the next step to take. And Scott, in my experience, every single time I've turned back toward my inner self, every time, every time I've listened to that quiet invitation, come, come here, come home, come here. Every single time my inner self has responded with appreciation, with support, with direction and guidance that I didn't know was possible. Sometimes in the middle of feeling so stuck, so unresourceful, that momentary, that five minutes or that, you know, spending a little time in my journal has been enough to remember this tremendous inner resource. And you talked about 
different times on this show, you know, we're this, we are these limitless beings and the parts of us that don't believe that, that don't know it also are the parts that want to convince us. Don't go talk to that inner self. <laughs> right. Don't, yeah. don't go, don't look that direction. <laughs> yeah. Because the mind wants to stay in control, mm -hmm. you know, and I just think that I'm really, really conscious about approaching my life from an empowering place these days because we disempower ourselves all the time with our thoughts and our words and our actions and we fall into this habit of disempowerment so if i'm looking at my life as i'm going through the day and looking at the choices i'm making and just asking myself is this choice empowering or is it disempowering is it, it it's a disempowering thought to believe that you have no time in your day to make a change in your life. It's simply not true. And all that belief will do will is to prevent you from making any changes that you feel called to make in your life. So why start there? Why not start with the empowering and also true thought that I am capable of carving out time, even if it's only five minutes, mm -hmm. right? Because there's an energy to yes. When you, when you have a yes, to your life, to some aspect of your life, you automatically start to consider the possibilities that live under the umbrella of that yes. Your imagination automatically starts going to work on creating possibilities for, for manifesting that yes. And the same thing happens with no. The opposite happens with no, which is to say, if you go to a no, I have no time in my day, you have immediately cut all your imagination off. You've cut off the possibility of creating anything because you're a no and a no is a wall. And sometimes we need no, of course, but in the context of what we're capable of creating in our own lives, no, we need a lot more yeses. We need a lot more energy of, yes, I am empowered. I am strong. I am creative. I am boundless. I am capable of creating a life that feels more aligned with my dreams. And only I am capable of doing that for myself. If that can be our general approach to our lives, to our days, to the hours in the day, along with being incredibly kind and graceful to ourselves when we're not living in that space, because we can't always be living in that space, right? We're going to change our lives. We automatically will. We're going to change our relationships with ourselves. If you stop shaming yourself for the ways in which you're not showing up, your relationship with yourself changes immediately. And then your relationship to everyone else changes because all of this stuff is, it's transcendent. How we approach ourselves is how we approach other people. How we feel about ourselves is how we feel about other people and how we invite other people to feel about us. Right. All of this stuff is energy. I can't I, I say that a thousand times because it's so important to remember that. And if you if you're aware of it, you're much more conscious of the energy that you're putting out there into the world. So I got to revise my subtitle. Simple, profound and eloquent. That was eloquence. Guys. <laughs> and some let's put in parentheses sometimes and sometimes, and sometimes eloquent. eloquent. No, that's that's. So good. And I love that you brought the word imagination into it. I think that we forget, especially as adults, we forget that everything starts with imagination. And if you take that word apart, Im image, a nation, 
we are actually creating pictures and then stories around the pictures and feelings around the stories. But it, it literally everything begins with the way we imagine, the way we imagine. And so what you just said, when we were trained to imagine no rather than yes, and that is a very natural process that happens as we're socialized, you know, it also is affected by um, traumatic experiences, whether they're big ones or micro ones, as we've talked about before. I just recorded this, uh, this short creativity um, and relaxation meditation, Scott, I sent it to you. And it was so interesting because I've actually listened to it a number of times since then. And it's interesting how, you know, I'm a regular meditator. I tend to meditate more than 10 minutes. This is a very, this is a 10 minute meditation. It's guided. It's a guided visualization. For those of you who don't even like the word meditation, this is actually just guiding you to visualize. Mm -hmm. Take a deep breath. Let it go. Imagine you're in a beautiful place. And then you get to define what your beautiful place is with some guidance. What was interesting to me after listening to that a number of times, listening to my own voice doing it, was how it made me feel. Like the act of taking 10 minutes out of my day and letting my own voice guide me to just imagine a beautiful place. Now, my beautiful place that seems to be recurring as I use this uh, particular uh, meditation is this uh, spot that I visited recently on the shore of Redfish Lake up in the almost Alpine mountains in Idaho that for whatever reason, whenever it says visualize your beautiful place or pick one, I, I can go there and I can actually imagine, um, the smells. I can imagine the wind in the pine trees. I can see a chipmunk over there. I can feel the sun. And it's so interesting, Scott, even the act of going into that imaginary place for 10 minutes, I walk out of there with my imagination reactivated in the way it's meant to be used that says, I have it. It's powerful. I can go to a place that I'm not physically, it's not science that I'm in Stanley on the shore of Redfish Lake right now. Okay. I'm literally not there, but I just was there for five or 10 minutes. And the fact that I trained myself even with, or practiced doing it, okay, I can go back there. I can go back there anytime. If I'm in the middle of a depressing, you know, this thing always happens, that story that activates, okay, this is what always happens. Whenever I get a text from this person, I respond, this always happens. And this is what it means. Okay. I can either let that become and remain the reality, or I can go, wait a minute. I actually do have the power right now to go and be in a different place with this particular situation. Yes. I love, I love that because that is so often, I feel like when we're feeling bad about something or negative emotions about something, hard emotions, any emotions, there's so much momentum that builds and we, we compound our miserable thought with another miserable thought and another miserable thought. And it's very hard to interrupt that once it gets going and just think, well, I'm going to think about the exact opposite you know, and if you're stressed about money, it's like getting yourself to get away from those stressful thoughts about money into thoughts of like, I am abundant and I'm going to create just what I need. That's a really tricky jump. And I don't think that that works. But what you're speaking to for me is such, it's such an important component that can create peace for ourselves because jumping from being stressed about money 
to not being stressed about money is virtually impossible, but jumping from being stressed about money to wait a minute, let me think of Redfish Lake for a few minutes, right? Because Redfish Lake has nothing to do with money. It has nothing to do with that story. So you're not asking yourself to make this dramatic shift from one extreme to the other. You're simply asking yourself to sit with this beautiful, natural area of the world that brings you joy. Mm -hmm. And just by taking yourself there, you're shifting the momentum away from the anxiety you were carrying around money. And then from that place, from that neutral, beautiful, I'm at Redfish Lake place, you can move into a different emotional space, right? This is for me, it's like this middle ground place that helps me kind of move from from the anxiety about money into something different. And we can apply that to anything when our mind is spinning out about anything. If you're conscious in that moment and feel like I need a break from this mental drama, take yourself to that place. For Jacob, it's Redfish Lake. For me, it's the Italian Alps. It's the Dolomites Mm. in a very specific place Mm. in the Italian Alps. And it's a place I can go and like you, I can smell, I can, and, and the smell happens to be in this place of the of manure but it's the manure there smells differently than the manure here it really does it's good shit huh yeah it's good shit exactly (laughs) um but that's such a i'm so happy you mentioned that because that is something we can all do i also want to say you sent me your your meditation and it's it's wonderful and i told jacob he's going to be the the barry white of meditation teachers (laughs) um with his his soothing meditative voice (laughs) Um, but I also want to say, this is going to be a Jacob um, shout out again. When you when you were speaking about imagination after I spoke about it, I really feel like that is a really important uh, and beautiful part of the creative cure. And for me, the essence of your book, mm. it's really reminding people of their inherent creativity, one, and how playing with our inherent creativity changes every aspect of our lives. So if you haven't already, I really encourage you to check out his book because it is going to hold your hand and walk you into your imagination and give you lots of exercises to fuel it and to play with it. And the more we're doing that, the more we're connecting to our inner kids and the more we're finding joy in our lives naturally. Mm, Thank you so much, Scott. I love that. And thank you. I also wanted to say that, um, as you've been talking, watching your eyes talking about, even when you said the word creativity, if you could imagine that what you're activating is your own power. I mean, people think of creativity as this thing that you do when you make art or whatever. No, it's activating your power, your actual inherent essential power. So the imagination is, a, Imagine, okay, let's let's actually do this right now, Scott, because I watched your okay. eyes dart just a second ago. There's this very faint noise in the background that you mentioned at the beginning of the of the episode, and it's um it's construction or whatever. Well, I can barely hear yeah. it, but I know I saw your eyes dart for a second a minute ago. I'm like, oh, that's Bob. So let's just pretend. Let's just take a second and pretend. Let's pretend that you and I are in a helicopter. Okay. And we're flying over the Dolomites right now. And we've chosen to do this episode, sharing this incredible adventure with our listeners from the helicopter. And yeah, the sound you're hearing is the little bit of rotor noise overhead. How do you feel about that noise now, Scott? Yeah, I don't, it's, it's nothing. Because we're having, it doesn't even, 
it doesn't interrupt anything. We're having an adventure, right? Like we're sharing something. Yeah. We're we're flying five thousand feet over the over the side of the Alps, and we're looking down at this amazing scenery. And it's like, of course, you're going to hear some noise because we're having this amazing adventure. Absolutely, <laughs> that's great. I love that. Thank you. Just yeah, reframing it. Yeah. It could just be, and we can do that. It could be fun. Oh, go ahead, no, go I'm ahead. just gonna say it, it can just be fun. Now, not all circumstances, and I loved what you said about money earlier. Like, you're, you're not gonna be really feeling like, oh my god, I just pulled, you know, three overdue notices out of the mailbox, and I got a text from Verizon that said, you know, I'm three months past due. You're not gonna all of a sudden just imagine a pile of money and feel amazingly better about money. But you can go back to, oh, but I have this power of this imagination. And that's where I'm connected to the boundlessness that is that is who I really am. Absolutely. Because we, we all know that worrying about money or anything, but worrying about money doesn't help the situation, right? And it's incredibly difficult to not worry about money when you feel you're having money issues. And so we so even in those moments when you find yourself worrying about something that feels entirely worthy of your worry um even in those moments you can ask yourself what choice can i make right now that might ease me out of this worry even just for a few minutes how can i create for myself a little bit of peace in this moment understanding that my worry is not manifesting $5,000 for me to pay these bills. That's not what's going to do it. So how can I create some peace for myself? How can I give myself a break from this worry right now? And again, grab a journal, grab a notebook, write the answers down. The answer for you might be turn on some really loud music and dance my butt off. The answer might be take yourself to your version of Jacob's Redfish Lake. The answer might be to call a friend and invite that friend. Don't bring up the money issues because you understand that that talking about it and worrying about it does not help it. Invite a friend to just have a conversation about fun, something funny. Go to YouTube and look at the video of the dog slurping up the green Slurpee, which is a go-to for me, right? And this is these. This is the way that we can give ourselves these gifts. And by the way, there's value in doing that because in my experience, because I believe everything is energy, the more I'm focused on worrying about my finances, which is something I can get focused on, the more I'm focused on it, the more I'm just creating energy around the lack of finances I have. That's really what I believe about this. I'm just directing energy precisely at the thing about which I don't want energy directed, right? I'm just feeding it. Right. I'm just feeding it, which is we can see that the, the, the clearest way we can, a lot of us can see that in our lives is just the way we reflect on news. It's like if you're, if you're tuning into the news for hours a day and following stories that are creating for you anxiety and misery, you are literally directing your energy. You are feeding the very thing that you don't want to be feeding. And it is ex exacerbating the uncomfortable feeling you're having. Yeah. So the way I love to imagine this, uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza said we, that we are being bombarded with something like I mean, the number is almost hard to even believe, but it's something like 50 billion bits of information um, coming at our organism every every moment. Um, so it's like the temperature in the room. It's that little noise over there. It's all of the, it's how your body, the pressure of your butt in the chair. It's it's everything that is, that, it, that encapsulates, this is me in this second. Um, he said, but we can only like, we can only process it 
um, at about the rate of 50, 50 bits per second. So what that means to me, Scott, to kind of bring this down to a metaphor, it's we can only ever view reality through a keyhole. So no, mat no matter how broad-minded, no matter how intelligent, how well-read, how anything it is that I am, I can still only point this keyhole of attention at the reality of my life. And I can only process a fraction, a tiny, tiny bit of the information that's coming at me. Therefore, the choice I have is where do I point that keyhole of attention? Perfect. Absolutely. And we have that choice all the time. We're making, the, we're making that choice all the time. So what happens when we bring more consciousness to that choice and point the keyhole in directions that stand to create a bit more peace in our lives or joy or connection? We are going to see a difference in our lives. There's no other possibility. There's no other possibility. You know? this, and this is where we cross the line into real magic. And I've experienced it so many times in my life. I know you have Esther, the, the Abraham Hicks information is talking about this exact thing, Scott. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad we've kind of taken this long loop through it to examine the parts that go, that are skeptical of it, that are saying, oh, that's, that's only for those positive people. It's like, yes. And, <laughs> um, any one of us can learn how to train the, the keyhole of our awareness toward what it is. But, and by the way, um, those who say, well, that's just positive thinking. It's ignoring the reality that's really going on. It's like when you, I, when I began to understand that bombardment of information, I'm not talking about just the news and just that kind of information, all the information, um, and realize that by turning this very finite viewfinder that I have toward what it was I would love. I wasn't ignoring all the rest of the possibilities. It was simply saying, this is what I'm choosing to experience more of. Now, that doesn't mean I can't always have the choice to look the other direction. I can go and read the distressing news stories that day. I can take in the information. Um, and that's a valid choice. It's, it's, it's as valid a choice to do that as it is to turn and look toward what I would love. And I think that sometimes people think it's very binary. It's either, oh, I'm going to be a positive person or I'm going to be a realistic person. No, you always have the choice. Just like I'm moving my head right now and my eyes are, are you know, finding different things to look at. It's like, I'm not ignoring that there's, you know, a little uh, pile of dust in that corner when I'm looking out the window and watching my cat sitting in the sun. The fact is I'm, I can only look at that one thing at a time. Yeah. And if, I mean, if, if you're someone who feels that to focus on, the positive, for lack of a better word, is ignoring everything else. By focusing on just misery, then you're ignoring all the beauty that comes with this planet in this existence, right? So what is the difference? Like we don't have to ignore, we, we don't, it is up to you to decide where you want to put your focus, right? And what, what I have, what I've seen myself do too many times in my adult life is cast my gaze on all that was not working in the world, all that felt violent and horrific and unjust in the world and wall myself off from all of the incredible beauty, all of the incredible connection, all of the wildly compassionate and loving people, because I was so focused on the people who are doing horrible things and, and the things that aren't working out the right way, right? We are expansive, expansive beings. We can hold all of it should we choose to. And I am, 
I, I will not feel ashamed anymore for casting my gaze more consciously and specifically and intentionally on aspects of life that, that feel uplifting to me, that connect me to our oneness, that connect me to nature, that connect me to the beauty, um, be, in part because I believe that not only is there not harm in doing that, that it actually serves the collective. It actually serves creating more of that in the world by giving energy to to all of that that is already existing, you know, and and that's what I believe. Well, I've watched you experience it. I've watched myself experience it. I just want to say that, you know, in a single day, we can experience this entire spectrum. And I need to be reminded of these things oftentimes more than once in a single day. You know, yeah. Um, So uh, once, and this is where it comes back to a practice, Scott. And it's not a list of rules that say if you're a good person, if you do these things, it's a matter of I feel so much better. I feel so much better about my life. I feel so much better, just exactly what you said. And and I am just so committed to this idea that a healthy cell radiates health to the cells around it. If yeah. I'm if I'm a cell that's taking in all the toxins and focused on it and overwhelmed by it and contracted by it, uh, I start to get inflamed. I start to get infected, and I'm then begin to spread infection and inflammation to the cells around me. Absolutely, absolutely. That's how it is, and our minds are already hardwired to focus on misery, right? That is not where our work is. We don't have to give extra energy and intention to finding things to be unhappy about in this world. We're doing it quite naturally, (laughs) which is why for me, it makes a lot of sense to be a bit more proactive at at considering the things that, that bring me joy in giving energy to those things, knowing that my mind is so often creating scenarios and circumstances and locking me in to things that don't. So I, I wonder if you would take just a couple of minutes because I interrupted you. I watched you. I watched you go into your imagination in the helicopter by the Dolomites there. I wonder if you would mind just like for a minute or two, just telling us we're flying in this helicopter. I'm looking over at you. You've got your seat buckled and you've got these headphones on and uh, you're looking out of the open door, which to me is kind of a terrifying idea of flying around, but it's exciting also. <laughs> so they have the door of the helicopter open and you're looking down and you're pointing at things that you want me to see because I've never been there. So show me, Scott, what are, what are we flying over right now? We are flying over these two peaks whose names I do not remember in the you know what? I want to take you. We're we're landing, okay? <laughs> because I want to actually take you to my spot in the Dolomites, okay, if that's okay. So we uh, we landed the helicopter, and we're at this family-run, owned and run hotel called Valentineroff in the town called Siusi, and we are in the pool, which is this warm, beautiful pool that starts indoors, and then you go to these glass doors that, when you come up to them, they automatically open, and you swim out. And now you're outdoors and these two giant rock peaks are right above you. You're just in this gorgeous, gorgeous pool swimming underneath these peaks. And right in front of you is this green, 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 green valley. 
that just rolls downhill from the pool that you're in and then rolls up the side of those mountains up into the peaks. And then what you can see in the distance also is a gondola. And I've only been there in the summer. So the gondola is taking hikers from the base of the valley up to this spot on the mountain from which you can begin any number of hikes, which we would be doing. We, we just got back from one of the hikes, let's say, and that's why we're taking a swim. And as you hike in these mountains on Alpa de Ciusi, you you can take like a three-hour hike and end up at this wonderful little chalet, wooden chalet restaurant that that in no way feels obtrusive to the nature around you. And you can have a wonderful like jug of beer if you want one and a schnitzel. <laughs> and then you can hike down and get back to the Valentinerhof Hotel and swim in this beautiful pool outdoors in the sunshine of Italy with these gorgeous mountains just looking over you. And for me, this is a, a spot of heaven on earth. Thank you for taking me with you. Thank you for taking all of us there. I'd love to take you all there in, in real life too. It's a very, very special place. That is remarkable. And I, you know, unless you brought something, I didn't bring anything to read today, but having you take us on a, a little journey and remind us how powerful, like just right there, Scott. And by the way, everyone listening, I have a slightly different image than Scott can because Scott's actually been there and I haven't, but I, I was there. I was there and I created that image. I created the feeling, the water, looking over the green valley, all the things you talked about, the taste of the schnitzel. I mean, it was all there. And that's, I just feel like maybe ending this episode with just saying, that's how powerful we are. We create, we can create our realities. Yeah, I'm good with that. I'm good with that. <laughs> we can end it there. All right, everyone. Well, we love you. Thank you for being here. And um, yeah, so share, much. rate, subscribe, you know, all the things. If you haven't left a review on Apple Podcasts, it's now there. So we would love that. We'd appreciate it. But mostly thanks for being here. And thanks for letting us share so honestly, you know, the the stuff we're going through, how it relates, and then and then using these tools. Thank you for allowing us to just really kind of unzip it all like this. It's, uh, it makes my day better, Scott. It makes mine too. We love you and I love you, Jacob. You too, my friend. It's up to you to choose how good it can get, how much love you can let into your life, into your heart, before your mind decides it's too much. It's up to you to choose. It's up to you to choose.